When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's See Me After Class. This week's spotlight shines on Mike Mulligan. A yes. <laughs> See Me After Class. My friends don't even know who you are. My friends don't even know who you are. My friends don't even See Me After Class. This is See Me After Class. I won't, David. I won't. Shit-stirring troll. A passive-aggressive tweeter and just a complete weird. See Me After Class. Anyway, we had teased earlier a couple things about the media. We love to look at all of local sports media we have for years. We consume it, don't mm-hmm, we? Mm-hmm, there's yep. outlets left and right now. Yep, it's not just yep. you know the Sun-Times and the Trib anymore. Yep. you got The Athletic. you got numerous places that sports coverage is as good as it has ever been, I would say. But there is an issue. It could be better. Yeah, there is an issue. We'll get Generally, there. there's a lot of old bastards that have been in the media for many, many years. They may have started at the Sun-Times, and the Sun-Times loses money, so they get a job at the Trib. Then they also get a job on radio, perhaps. Then they don't really write as much, but they still have strong opinions that were built in the early 80s. So that is a huge problem with Chicago sports media in general. And uh, this is a little segment that we'll probably bring back weekly if there's enough (laughs) issues going on. Uh, I don't have a name yet for it, but we'll get there. So... Uh, this week in the spotlight is one Dan Pompey. That is who is in the spotlight. So he wrote something on July 30th for The Athletic called, Can the Bears Defeat the One Enemy That Will Be With Them All Season? So, you know, he wastes time at the beginning. He's talking about, oh, the biggest enemy isn't the Packers, it isn't the Vikings, it isn't McVay, it isn't the Saints, blah, 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 blah. So who is the Bears' most ominous threat? I'm quoting him now. It's the enemy within. Oh, my goodness. So what he said, I'm quoting again, part of what made the 2018 Bears successful is that they were hungry. They felt the need to prove themselves. They were fresh and full of whatever kind of juice their dynamic first-year head coach was pouring. They were underestimated by one and all, end quote. First of all, just heavy cheesiness, Dan. Oh. I mean, that is just gross. That Dan, is a gross paragraph. Dan Pompous at oh, his finest. God, that is just nasty. You know what was part of what made the 2018 Bears successful? I don't know, trading for Khalil Mack? Yeah, that helps. I think that has think a that lot helped, more Dan. to do with, oh, we're trying to prove the critics wrong. Most of these guys haven't had critics because it's the youngest team <laughs> in the fucking NFL. So, so true. Just stop it, Dan. So, so what he's talking about is based off of old thoughts of you had success one year, so how could you possibly be successful the following year? Well, first of all, the Bears weren't that successful last year. They won the division for the first time in forever. They did not win a playoff game. Do you think they're not going to be motivated by losing in such a horrible way? I'd classify them as hungry. They're a hungry team. Absolutely. They were pissed at how it ended. God damn it, Cody Parkey. Absolutely. So, so, you know, he goes on, talks about other crap that just, you know, filling space. And he, I, I love this paragraph. Get ready to vomit. 
Quote, the enemy within lurks in the shade of the tents on the hot practice field. It calls out from the greasy buffalo chicken pizza in the team cafeteria. The enemy within is a tempter. Unquote. What are you talking about? Do you think they have greasy buffalo chicken at the New Hallis Hall? Not at all of that. Right, exactly. <laughs> it is exactly. not Christian enough for a pizza to get thrown down buffalo chicken. They only eat cheese there. Are you kidding me, Dan? At best. At best. And then he leads into a screed about when he went to the 1986 training camp in Platteville. He showed up and Jim McMahon was fat. Yeah, yeah his gut was hanging yeah, his over his belt. Was hanging out. By far my favorite part of that. I mean, it's a great. I, I appreciate the fact that that yeah. happened. Yeah, he was still drunk from the Super Bowl in January. Yeah, yeah it's a funky QB. Yeah. He should be a little fat after Absolutely. winning the Super Bowl. I would expect this article to be written after, obviously, the Bears go and win in Miami in 2020, yep. February, early February, right? A little premature for an article like this. Made I me want to puke. To yeah. I'm gonna be honest, I, I actually did throw up a little bit. I yeah. haven't told you this before, but yeah. I read it and I puked oh my God. on my shoes. You okay? Uh, I feel better. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's good. That, that got weird. No, that's anyway, uh, yeah, the the McMahon fat gut part was as a, as a general fat guy myself. I didn't appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, just to assume we're all out of shape, we are, but you don't need to tell us. And I've never won a Super Bowl, and I have a gut. What do you have to say about that, Dan Pompas? You know what? That is a great point. I didn't even think about that. But I just love the fact that we're just going to compare everything to the 85 Bears, whether it's relevant or not. Yeah, so, right. you know, it's time to grow up, Different people. times. Yeah. yeah, we have we all cell phones now. Bears. Exactly. Internet. Yeah. I mean, um, that was 35 years ago almost. That's ridiculous. Think about how these guys have personal trainers, and they have their own brand to worry about. We're comparing this these players now to 86 team. Yeah. Shut up. Just shut up. You know what? Damn Pompey, see me after class. See me after class. And we are back to Zero Doinks episode two. Definitely our best one so far. I hope the audio is better than the last one. Okay. Uh, now it's time for my absolute favorite segment of the show. See me after class. The segment of the show where Zero Doinks keeps Chicago media personalities accountable. And now, Bill, take it away. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate that. This week's See Me After Class Spotlight shines on David Haw. David has been the Chicago Tribune's lead columnist since 2009, though curiously, the Trib currently calls Haw a special contributor, not the In the Wake of the News lead columnist, so... Have you been demoted, David? I think we need, you know, we, we need a little more information about that. Tell us, Dave. Exactly. Let us know. Uh, David Haw was recently awarded, and I use that term loosely, co-hosting honors next to the rambly and shouty Mike Mulligan during the Sweaty. morning drive on AM670, The Score. So even though Haw has been in Chicago for a decade, when I mention his name to pretty good sports fans throughout town, I'm usually met by confused looks as they're unsure of who I'm even talking about. And do you want to know why that is? <laughs> it's because you're so boring, David. You're an absolute <laughs> snooze fest. It's ridiculous. Though, 
I admit, occasionally, you rankle me. You absolutely rankle me, David Hyde. And, what, and the reason is, what bothers me about your takes is you have an absolute lack of foresight and an absence of creative thinking. Here's an example, David Ha, and to the audience that's listening, I'm sure. In April 2018, the Tribune's headline from your column screamed, For just $1 million, Ryan Pace lets Cam Meredith leave Bears for nothing in return. Okay, an end quote. Remember, <laughs> Meredith was supposed to be the Bears' number one wide receiver going to 2017 until he got yep. his leg torn off in a preseason game, right? You remember that? Yep, so, I remember. Yeah, absolutely. After that season, instead of the Bears signing Cam to a restricted free agent offer sheet, they lowballed him and eventually signed with the Saints. So, Haas' take from that turn of events? Okay, I'm quoting now from that column. Quote, trusting Bears Bears GM Ryan Pace's projection for an NFL wide receiver over Saints coach Sean Payton should create an uneasy feeling everywhere but New Orleans. The big uneasy, if you will, end quote. <laughs> that is gross. No, no, I won't, David. I won't. You know what Cam did for New Orleans after he spurned the Bears offer? In 2018, he had nine catches for 114 yards and one touchdown. Do you know what six wide receiver for the Bears, Josh Bellamy produced in 2018 for the Bears 14 catches, 117 yards, and one touchdown. Shut up, David Haw. Good shut God, up, David. Just shut your fucking face. Shut up, Dave. Another negative about Haw? He's from Indiana. And... Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> Plus, he loves to tell you about the time he played football for Ball State. You know what he did at Ball State as a free safety? Actually, he was pretty good. He had 10 career interceptions, but that's besides the oh, point. Oh, wow. I know, right? Not bad. I did a little research on that puppy. That's shocking. It is shocking. Absolutely shocking. I bet he was very flabby under those pads. But anyway, his takes, <laughs> his being David Haw, David Haw's takes are soggy, they're boring, they lack imagination. He was one of the leaders of last year's How Dare Matt Nagy Not Play Mitch and others during the preseason in 2018. No one has proven anything, yet look at Tom Brady. He's out there throwing 40 passes in the preseason. Okay, so Haw was obsessed with preseason snaps thing. It was ridiculous. And last August, Awful. I know, he said, quote, the Bears put themselves, this is last August 2018, quote, the Bears put themselves on track to be the healthiest 5-11 and 11 team in the league. End quote. Dumbass. They went 11 and 5, didn't they? Okay, you, you piece of shit. Okay, he called <laughs> Nagy's praise of training camp practice, quote, Trustman esque. Great call, David, you dumb bastard. Okay, this week, Haw wrote that Nagy, quote, deserves the benefit of the doubt, unquote, for keeping Mitch's workload light during the preseason games. But David couldn't help himself on that same column from dipping into last year's cold take, and he said, quote, Nagy didn't earn the benefit last year when you have an unproven Nagy and he sat an unproven Trubisky and other regulars. End quote. God, shut up, David. If he had any foresight, you would have seen, like like Dan and myself, we were screaming from the mountaintops that preseason games are useless now. Just because you and other wet media members have to bitterly sit in the press box during these games, it doesn't mean that Nagy needs to put the most recognizable members of the roster in harm's way. Nagy saw it that way last Last year, you were too myopic to notice. You narrow-minded Hoosier bastard. Okay, so <laughs> let's look quickly at other Haw headlines through the years, Bears-related, to show why he deserves a spanking that he is getting right now. October 2018, and this is the headline. I know he's not responsible for the headline, but I'm sure the content was 
equal to the headline, okay? October 2018. Khalil Mack should play through his injury. That's what leaders do. Shut up. That's dumb. Okay. <laughs> January 1st, 2018. So much for full accountability as Bears dump John Fox, but they reward Ryan Pace. Wrong, okay? John Fox and Ryan Pace are not on the same level. You should have known that in January of 2018, but you're too stupid. October 2017. <laughs> quote, another headline. This is great. Call me crazy, but the Bears look good enough to make a 500 season a realistic goal. The Bears were 5-11. and 11. They rattled off like six straight losses oh. after that headline. Idiot. David Howe, you're an idiot. September idiot. 2017. Quote. This is the headline quote. Bears make smart decision keeping Mark Sanchez on the roster. Oh, God. This was the third of three columns that Haw wrote about Mark Sanchez. Why did he do that? That is just the weirdest thing ever gross nude photos is the only thing i get that's what i'm thinking okay august 2016 i only have two of these left don't worry august 2016 quote headline if he's not too edgy dowell loggins could provide bears offense an edge okay dowell loggins was easily the worst offensive coordinator in the history of the nfl ridiculous he has a job right now hilarious david high you're an idiot may 2016 Quote, Ryan Pace's decision to cut Matt Slauson is confusing and troubling. Slauson combined a combined tw- started a combined 12 games the last two years, recently announced his retirement. David, David Haw again. No foresight. You're an idiot. Okay. In conclusion, David Haw, <laughs> your thoughts are either bad or they're boring. You seem to have taken that radio gig with Mully to promote your horrible weekly columns. And even though you've been a prominent media member in our great city for over a decade, my friends don't even know who you are. I'm sick of you and your boring face. David Haw, see me after class. See me after class. Welcome back to Zero Doinks, episode three. This is by far my favorite segment where we keep Chicago journalists and radio personalities in goddamn check. This is See Me After Class. Take it away, Bill. Thanks, Dan. That is one hell of an intro. I really appreciate it. This week's spotlight shines on Mike Mulligan. A staple. Yes. <laughs> I knew you'd be excited about this one. So excited. <laughs> it's so great. This gives me great pleasure. So, and, and to clue our audience in, Dan has no idea where I'm going with this. And the whole goal, from my perspective, is to make Dan laugh. So hopefully Dan laughs, and hopefully you, our loyal audience, loves it too. <laughs> All right. A staple in Chicago sports media for over 20 years, Mike initially made his name known as an ink-stained scribe for the Chicago Sun-Times, quickly joining the Bears beat and becoming their lead reporter by the early 2000s. In 2011, according to Wikipedia, Mulligan was let go from his role as sports writer and soon took his terrible writing to the Chicago Tribune as a special contributor. Mully, though is more known to Chicago sports fans as the saliva-filled, loud voice on 670 The Score's AM morning show, where he has been stationed in the 5 a.m. time slot since 2008. 
Not sure you can place who this Mully is on your radio? Let me give you a few clues. Have you recently heard someone on 670 The Score start each sentence by saying, I gotta tell ya, or I gotta be honest with ya? That's Mike Mulligan. Have you heard somebody fumbling stupid Irish cliches and sayings? That's Mully. Have you heard someone talking way too much about European soccer and droning on and on about Loyola basketball? Mully. Three things, though, are more potent than any of those irritants. Those vocal tics that make you want to punch the button and listen to anybody but Mully. After over 10 years as the driver of the Scores Morning Radio Show, Mike Mulligan still does not know how to conduct an interview. It's amateur hour every single morning. He is unprepared and seemingly disinterested in what his guests have to say. Let me give you an example. Last week, Mully was interviewing Bears radio play-by-play guy Jeff Joniak. Jeff was going through his analysis of the front seven of the Bears defense, and Jeff singled out linebacker Leonard Floyd as a player poised for a breakout season. Joniak said he was basing his opinion on Floyd off of intel that he got from talking to other defensive players and how they've been mentioning Floyd's name unprompted. Jeff said when he hears that type of info on a player before he hears it from a coach, typically that means that it's true. It's not bad info from Jeff, who's a weekly guest on Mully's show, and I found it interesting as a listener, and I made a mental note to keep my eye on Floyd's early play to see if it pans out the way that his teammates are predicting. Not even three minutes past Joniak's nugget on Leonard Floyd, my ear canals start bleeding as the voice of a wet Kermit the Frog-sounding Mike Mulligan asks Jeff Joniak what he thinks the chances are of a breakout year from Leonard Floyd. Are you sh- Are you shitting me? What, what the were fuck? You- what were you doing when Joniak was giving you his analysis three minutes earlier, Mully? What do you do here exactly, and why are you still allowed to have your job? Good God, Mully. My number two pet peeve about Mike Mulligan on the radio is that he pronounces some names really, really weird. I would think that a prerequisite for speaking on the radio would have to be to have the ability to, you know, speak clearly? Well... Now that it's football season, the listeners are going to have the pleasure of hearing Mully pronounce the name of the Michigan head football coach as Jim Harbaugh. What? (laughs) What is that? It's Harbaugh, isn't it? Jim Harbaugh. He was the quarterback or quarterback for the Bears for seven goddamn seasons, wasn't he? This is not a new name, and this shouldn't be this difficult. My third pet peeve. Not only does Mully not listen to his guests answer his stupid questions, he also apparently flies into interviews with zero clue as to what he's going to ask. It's a phenomenon that is both incredible and cringeworthy. Recently, I was thrilled to discover that some message board posters on ChicagoFanatics.com are similarly bothered by this horrific radio style. For example... I'm about to read a transcript of a 2015 interview question from Mike Mulligan to former Bears coach Dave Wanstead. The message board post miraculously caught every tick that Mully has that makes me want to light my car on fire when I hear his voice scream from my speakers. I'm about to prove to you that his questions, and I use that term very loosely, have the potential of rambling on for over one minute in real time. Fair warning to you, our loyal Zero Doinks listener. Be prepared to feel weird and uncomfortable. Quote, 
when you uh when you start talking about the Bears, you know we mention the talent gap they seem to have. Today, the Pro Bowl will be announced. The players in the Pro Bowl, and uh, you know, again, I don't anticipate any Bears making the Pro Bowl. I think that Jay Cutler has been their best player this year, Dave. I don't think uh, I think there's just too many guys to choose from in terms of Pro Bowl quarterbacks, and he didn't finish very high in fan vo- uh, balloting. But again, it's a popularity contest. I don't know how the players feel about him or the front office guys, but I don't anticipate the Bears having a Pro Bowler. And uh, someone said Matt Slauson is a possibility. Uh, certainly he wasn't involved in the fan vote, but we'll see. We'll see if they're shut out. You, you oversaw the destruction, really. The final gasp, if you will, of the 85 team. There was some talent there, but, uh, you were kind of bereft of talent when you came in and you went through a couple years without, I think Glenn, Glenn Milburn was the first pro bowler for a few year period there. And I don't, I don't know that you have the team of pro bowlers to win. Again, it's a popularity contest, but it does underscore your talent level and you manage to win games without having the best talent on the field but usually it helps how do you i uh, i uh, uh, how do you deal with the fact that you a team even though alshon jeffrey is probably a pro bowler if he plays all year but he didn't play enough how do you deal with the idea that you're undermanned that the talent isn't what the opponents is and i know football is an emotional game but at some point end quote at this point wani jumps in and he just starts talking during that interview it's ridiculous what is this how is this allowed how has this guy been collecting a paycheck for 10 plus years from the score to conduct piles and piles of verbal diarrhea for us all to suffer from each and every morning it's just stupid shut up molly just shut up i shut also up. thank you shut up i also shut hold up. mike mulligan responsible for two things he's responsible for two things number one the Sports Writers on TV program was a classic Chicago show that appeared on Sports Channel for 13 years, starring crusty old cigar-smoking columnists. During that 13th and final year, for some reason, some genius started inviting Mully on every Friday, I assume to hear Mully's latest bad bears take. Nine months after Mully made his first appearance on the show, the show was canceled. This cannot be a coincidence. How could so, that happen? Well, uh, my bottom line here is thanks for killing the sports writer on TV, you Kermit the Frog bastard. <laughs> number two. Number two thing that I hold you responsible for, Mike Mulligan. You may have noticed that I keep attributing the morning show to Mully only. As sports radio listeners surely know, it was called Mully and Hanley for over a decade until Brian Hanley was unceremoniously dumped in July of 2018. He murdered Hanley. Oh, my God. He murdered him. He must have. And David Ha, of all people, was hired to sit one seat over from Mully's fart-covered radio chair. You... Mike Mulligan clearly did not fight to keep Hanley as a partner. In a 2013 interview with something called ChicagoNow.com, Mully opined on the changing landscape in sports media, especially regarding the slow death of the traditional newspaper. Mully said, quote, I'd hate to see people lose their jobs and have to reinvent themselves. At this age, it's very difficult to do, end quote. In the same 2013 interview, Mully was asked who his favorite writers were. Mully said, quote, I enjoy reading a lot of people in the city, like David Haw, 
I enjoy his take on things, end quote. Apparently, Mike loved Haas so much that he didn't fight to keep Brian Hanley next to him, even though Mully had previously thrown bouquets at Hanley. In an interview about his former partner, now former partner, I should say, Mully said, quote, Brian is a great guy to work with, very professional and well-prepared. More than that, he's a good man who cares about the people he works with, and he looks out for everybody, end quote. You know who didn't look out for Hanley? You, Mully, you only look after yourself as you hide in plain sight as a horrible, horrible radio host. As you said, at your age, it's very difficult to reinvent yourself. I haven't even heard Hanley's name much on the score, even though he was supposed to cover some weekends and be a fill-in host during the week. That's kind of weird, right? Maybe he's been stuffed in Mully's crawl space, something somebody might want to check out. They might find Hanley with a knife firmly in his spine there, as well as what I would assume to be Mully. Multiple nude photos of David Ha. Oh, God. How boring would those photos be? Just gross. Just so gross. Mully, your questions are way too long. You don't listen to your guest's answers. You say, uh, all the time. And you've actually gotten worse with experience. You're too loud for morning radio. Your takes are no longer required in newspaper form. And frankly, even though you host the only local radio show in the morning, I have found myself more and more turning the dial to the cheesy-ass Golik and Wingo show on ESPN 1000. So next time you think about asking a rambling, awful question to a guest, first take a bow, and when you're finished, Mike Mulligan, see me after class. See me after class. All right, welcome back to Zero Doinks, episode four. This is what we've all been waiting for. My favorite segment, America's favorite segment. That might be too much. At least uh, we got a few more listeners, so they, they might enjoy it. It's See Me After Class. Go ahead, Bill. Thank you, Dan. And yeah, if America doesn't know it yet, they're going to soon. All right. This week's spotlight lands on the Chicago Tribune's third-in-command Chicago Bears beat writer, Dan Wiederer. After covering the Vikings for a few years, Dan was hired by the Trib in 2013 and has been largely anonymous in our fine city for the last six years. Haven't heard of the guy? Get in line. There are millions just like you, and how I wish I was one of them. Why is Dan being featured on this segment today? It is my observation that Dan needs to be smacked for being a shit-stirring troll, a passive-aggressive tweeter, and just a complete weird. Dan is a living example of how one single member of the media can control a narrative. To back up my claim, chew on this piece of evidence. <laughs> on August 12th, <laughs> on August 12th, Dan wrote an article called Five Questions as Bears Training Camp Ends. In this largely ignorable article, Dan says that Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky, quote, hasn't exactly passed the eye test. Too many INTs. Too many throws off the mark. Too many days where the QB and his offense have been uneven, end quote. This glistening nugget was quickly gobbled up by former NBC and Roto World writer Evan Silva, who pushed the Mitch has been shaky narrative to his 200,000 Twitter followers. How many of those are Russian bots? (laughs) And push back on anyone who dare question this opinion by saying, hey, the Trib said it, so it must be true. 
This narrative even spun into Cowan, Colin Cowherd going off on Mitch on his national show that same day, and down the rabbit hole we go. Let's be perfectly clear. This happened because Mitch's throws at practice in August did not satisfy Dan Wiederer's self-proclaimed eye test. Are we to believe that Dan Wiederer would be able to com- uh, contem- uh, would be able to identify what Nagy and the offensive brain trust is trying to accomplish with each drill and where they want Mitch to go with a ball for each throw? Of course not. If you took one look at Dan Wiederer's photo, you would quickly realize he is a mathlete who desperately needs both a sandwich and a few hours at a tanning salon. I want you to know, loyal Zero Doinks listener, that I have done some digging, including diving into almost 12 months' worth of Twitter replies, likes, and more (laughs) to show you why you should not give Dan Wieter's eye test one iota of your time. Let's talk about Dan, the human hobgoblin. I am convinced that Dan trolls it up for two reasons. One, he likes to talk, but no one listens. Here's an example. On August 12th, the same day that Dan's Mitch eye test observation gained national attention, Dan tweets the following, quote, I'm pretty fired up about deep dive projects I've got coming in the next three weeks relating to Bears 100 topics and the 2019 season. Hope to drop a few sneak peek previews shortly before each runs, hashtag tease, end quote. Not even nine hours after Dan got a little notoriety, this tweet got one retweet and three likes. No one cares about your work, Dan. In fact, Twitter hasn't even given you one of those blue check marks noting that you're a real person who contributes anything of value. I bet even Clifton Duck has a blue check mark next to his webbed feet. That must sting, Dan. It really must. The number two reason that Dan likes to be a troll... His status at the Bears beat is behind the very sweaty and very gassy Brad Biggs, as well as something called a Rich Campbell. So therefore, Dan needs to try to do something to get the attention of other outlets in an effort to upgrade his gig. Look, this won't surprise you, but Dan's writing style qualifies as someone trying way too hard. Listen to some of this language he uses. Quote, a wave of injury misfortune could crash ashore, unquote. Or, quote, the Bears' 100th season has opened the door for us to really dust off some boxes in the attic, unquote. Or, quote, if this Super Bowl train is going to stay on the tracks, there can't be a suitcase of convenient fallback excuses, unquote. Just so cheesy, so gross. It sounds like something that the Athletics' Dan Pompey would write. Speaking of the athletic, Dan Wiederer has recently tried to start Twitter wars with their writers. I don't know if you noticed this. In June, Dan tweeted, quote, I read in one publication this week that the Bears actually want their kickers to miss to test their mental toughness. Uh, yeah, no, most of the kick, most of the bear, ah, most of all the Bears want to find a kicker who just makes kicks, unquote. This subtweet was in reference to an article written by the Athletics' Adam Johns. Of course, Dan misrepresented what Adam wrote in the article, and Adam took it upon himself to reply to Dan. Adam said first, quote, thanks for subscribing, Dan, unquote, which I loved. (laughs) Great snarkiness. And then both Adam and Dan went back and forth on semantics. 
it's really quite boring, to be honest with you. But Dan then called Adam brother, and then Adam got pissy about the fact that Dan had subtweeted him to begin with. And then Dan called Adam out for an old bad take about Matt Barkley, and then <laughs> on and on we go. That's a true mark of a troll, though. Be passive-aggressive, and then act surprised when the person you're calling out actually tries to defend themselves. Here's a newsflash, Dan. Your writing's not good enough for The Athletic. Stop trying to make it so. We both know they already hired Dan Pompey for whatever reason, so they hit their cringy, cheesy quota already. You undernourished, skeleton-looking bastard. Look at... <laughs> Look, the bottom line with this Dan Weeder guy is that he's annoying. His game is obvious. Three different times in the week after the Bears lost to the Eagles, Dan retweeted an article he wrote that asked the question, quote, is Bears quarterback Mitch Trubisky a future star or an inconsistent headache, unquote. All three times, people had awesome replies, such as at Jason DeBald, quote, I refuse to click on stupidity, unquote. <laughs> and, and at Big Dinkle, who asked, quote, Anything else you want to bitch about? Unquote. <laughs> as well as at Paul Gamboa saying, quote, this take is meatball bait. Awful. Unquote. Dan, of course, responded to all of these guys saying some variation of, did you guys even read the article? Just shut up, Dan. Shut up. Shut up. Dan Weeder, you're the type of media member that is the most loathsome. You dip your toes into topics where you're not invited, such as your recent odd takes on LeBron James parenting, Tiger Woods' sex addiction, and, prob and the probably racist dude who made that circle motion on TV at Wrigley Field a few months ago. No one asked for you, and nobody wants your opinion, Dan. So let's tie a bow around this old oak tree, shall we? I'll let two Twitter handles sum up Dan Weederer for all of us. When Dan recently promoted a recent podcast episode he was on, at NYBearFan replied, quote, Good podcast. Still too much golf talk. But I just skip over it. Saves a lot of time, unquote. Dan got snippy, and at NYBearFan said, quote, Here's the thing. I have hobbies, too. But what I don't do is discuss them in front of my students. I know that's not why they're in my class. And even if some might be interested, it's a waste of everyone's time, unquote. Secondly, in replying to a back and forth that Weederer recently had with Bears head coach Matt Nagy, at Max Markham replied to Dan, quote, you're an odd guy, Dan, unquote. Bravo, at Max Markham and at NY Bear fan. You both are so right. Dan is an attention-seeking troll looking for his next Mitch Trubisky hot take to satisfy his needs. But most of all, he's just an odd guy who is a huge waste of everyone's time, including mine. Dan Weederer, see me after class! See me after class! All right, it's game week. I'm excited to see who's getting the goddamn heat from the local Chicago media. And see me after class, Bill? Hit me with it. Thank you, Dan. Another incredible intro from you. This week's spotlight shines on Brad Biggs. Sweaty. Brad has covered the Bears since 2001, first with the Sun-Times and then flipping over to the Trib in 2009. Brad learned how to write at the University of Missouri, where presumably 
he majored in fried dough. Brad's articles typically are not terrible. He's above average at his job. You even might hear him as a regular guest on the Mully and Haw show, breathing very heavily and most likely becoming drenched with the meat sweats about halfway through the interview. So why, pray tell, is Brad being featured today? Two reasons. One, Brad has become complacent. So much so that it's starting to leak into his work similar to that days-old meatball sauce you can't quite get out of your jeans. Two, Brad is way oversensitive. More on that in a minute. First, let's look at Brad's work at the Trib and how it's just not as good as it used to be. Don't believe me? Let's hear from writer Jeff Hughes of DeBearsBlog.com. Jeff recently wrote, quote, Brad Biggs has lost his fastball. He was the best Bears beat writer for a decade, and his Monday 10 things was the only must-read of the week. Neither of those things is remotely true anymore. One thing you should know, the organization hated that Phil Emery leaked so profusely to Biggs. They love that Pace does not. There are people in the building who actively root against Biggs getting stories, unquote. Now, None of us can vouch that the current powers that be at Hallis Hall are anti-Biggs, but I can absolutely believe it. During my very brief time of being employed by the Bears, it was clear that no one enjoyed Brad's attitude, or Mike Mulligan's for the record. But to Brad's credit, it's not his job to make friends with the front office or staff. He's supposed to be objective while obtaining and working sources, but I do find it interesting that those sources have run dry now that pro football focus humping Phil Emery is no longer in charge of the personnel decisions at Hallis Hall. And maybe that explains why Brad Biggs got so unbelievably oversensitive on New Year's Eve 2017, when after the Bears lost to the Packers to conclude that 17 regular season, Brad found out that he had to go to Hallis Hall for a press conference on New Year's Day at a time that was not yet determined by, this, by the franchise. If you recall, January 1st, 2018 was the day that John Fox was fired and Ryan Pace, to the dismay of David Haw, was granted a contract extension. Credit where it's due, McCaskies. Those were two great decisions. But look out, the timing of those decisions really ticked off Brad Biggs. The press conference, <laughs> press conference ended up being at 4 p.m. on New Year's Day. After Pace had to do all those pesky player and coach exit interviews, you know, do his job. Sorry that Pace wasn't thinking about your New Year's Day schedule, Brad. Relax. That cauldron of meaty, gassy chili will still be there for you when you get home later that night, you gluttonous Missouri Tiger bastard. Anyway... Brad's complaint about the press conference <laughs> led to a debate on that same New Year's Day 2018 on 670 The Score. Recent graduate of the University of Alabama's online diploma mill, Lawrence Holmes, was talking to Danny Parkins about the scheduled press conference, and Lawrence was standing up for Biggs. Lawrence said that the press conference should be at 2 p.m., not 4 p.m., because Lake Forest is far away or something? Parkins said he doesn't want to hear media people crying. And Lawrence said, that's an easy stance for you to take, which must have been a reference to Lawrence being all-knowing since he used to cover the Bears beat for the score. Anyway, here's where Biggs comes in again, as well as a clear example of my second complaint. 
on January 12, 2018, on Twitter, Biggs broke the news of Vic Fangio returning as defensive coordinator to then new Bears head coach Matt Nagy's staff. Dan Bernstein read this tweet in real time on his show and naturally discussed the news for a while until transitioning to Danny Parkins' show. A funny thing happened during Parkins' show, though. When Danny searched his personal Twitter account to find Brad's tweet, he couldn't find it. He then searched his show's account, and he couldn't find Biggs' tweet from there either. Parkins got blocked from Brad Biggs on Twitter because of something that Parkins said on the air that wasn't even personal. That is beyond lame and shows that even when your skin is super, super thick on the outside, it doesn't mean that you're not hypersensitive to even the most meager of criticism. Look, Brad, your job is to report on the Bears' news in front of you. Sometimes that leads to you criticizing players, coaches, or front offices. If you yourself complain about something as stupid as having to work on New Year's Day at the end of a football season, which is your job, guess what? You're opening yourself to criticism, too, and you deserve it. Instead of blocking people on Twitter who dare take you to task, why don't you be an adult and ignore the commentary, like I'm sure the subjects of your articles do to you? Brad, you once blocked both me and a friend of mine on Twitter because I tagged him in a tweet that I sent to you about, I don't even know, I was probably ripping you for a hot take you had on Pernell McPhee or something, Block me all you want, Brad. I might even deserve it. But please, for the love of all that is holy, unblock my friend at Gopher Bones. He can't see your tweets. He needs your tweets. Just like the Global Climate Change Alliance needs your size 5X cargo shorts to plug that gaping hole in the ozone. So, Brad, stop being so snowflakey and know that Bears meatball fans like us would appreciate if you found your fastball again and you started writing better words more often. You've done it before. You can do it again. But until you do, Brad Biggs, see me after class. See me after class. All right. It's time for my favorite segment on Zero Doinks. It's time for Smack. Bill, who are you going to lay the smack down on this week? Thank you, Dan. Another generous open by you. Today's spotlight shines brightly on sportscaster Dick Stockton. Oh, he's a turtle, right? He looks like one. We have all had Dick's voice in our ears since he became the play-by-play announcer of choice for the World Series in 1975. Since then, Dick, born Richard Edward Stockvis has worked nationally for the MLB, NBA, and NFL. Most importantly, though, Dick looks like someone glued a dead squirrel on a rubber mask and left it outside in a rainstorm. I can hear you now, loyal Zero Doinks listener, thinking to yourself, hey, I thought this segment focused only on local media smackings. This is true most of the time, dear friends. But after listening to Dick drone on for hours during yesterday's Bears-Broncos game, It was long overdue for hell to come to Dick's breakfast table. Now, I could offer you platitudes about Dick's career and brag on his behalf about all the big games he has had the honor to call, but no, this is not the time for that. Dick's time has come, and come again. And now it is so obvious that the neurons in his brain have stopped firing. 
but yesterday alone isn't proof of this. Dick should have been put out to pasture decades ago. You see, Dick can't really talk anymore. I don't know if he can't see that well from the press box, and then he gets nervous when his spotter doesn't feed him information quickly enough, but shit, I'd rather drink out of a used bedpan than have a senile old man mistakenly trying to tell me what's happening on my television. Yesterday had a few examples of Dick's tired mind. During the Bears, or I'm sorry, during the Broncos' first offensive drive, Dick noted a Bears defensive player in the fray and said, quote, Buster screen, the nose tackle on the play, unquote. In the third quarter, for some reason, Dick said, quote, the Chicago Green Bay Packers, unquote. <laughs> Dick also did no homework, apparently, as he noted that Bilal Nichols was, quote, hampered by a knee injury this week, unquote. Dick, you have access to the coaches and the players the day before the game. You should know that Bilal never practices on Fridays when they're indoors at the Walter Payton Center, which is weird, yes. I don't know what the deal is with Nichols' knee and that turf, but we're now going on 18 weeks of evidence that this happened, so do a little homework. Speaking of evidence, there are mountains of examples through the years of all of Dick's boners. Pull up a seat and enjoy. In 2008... Dick was calling a promo before the start of a Broncos-Rams game. He got the viewing audience pumped and told them to get ready for the upcoming game between, quote, the L.A. Rams versus the Denver Nuggets, unquote. <laughs> In 2007, Dick read a promo for Fox's halftime show and said, quote, coming up on the Visa halftime report, Kurt, Terry, Howie, and Tony, look on graphic for final two bullet points, unquote. <laughs> Dick Burgundy, ladies and gentlemen. These things actually happen. I'm not making them up. In 2016, Dick called then 49ers coach Chip Kelly, quote, Jim Kelly, unquote. I know, I know. Some of this sounds petty, but Dick, you have one job, and you're horrible at it. You just are, you wet and rubbery, ghoulish-looking bastard. In a 2013 Sports on Earth article, Writer Aaron Gordon was analyzing NFL play-by-play crews and said of Dick, quote, Stockton has some issues with his pacing on sentences. He tends to say half a sentence, stop, and then he finishes the rest of it when he feels like it, unquote. Yes, Aaron, thank you for putting a fine point on something that has been bothering me all millennium. How about a few more examples of Dick's throbbing gaffes? In 2011, during the MVP presentation at Chicago's United Center, Derek Rose lifted his new prize up to the rafters, and Dick Stockton referred to then Bulls guard as, quote, MVP David Rose, unquote. In 2009, the website Awful Announcing was all over Dick for his bumbling of a late-season Eagles-Jets game when Dick kept confusing the Jets for the Eagles. And for the last four minutes of the game, Dick insisted the score was tied, even though the Eagles had a 10-7 advantage, that which was flashing on his largely ignored monitor. Come on, Dick. In 2008, Dick was calling a Panthers-Chargers game, and Jake DeLome threw a last-second TD pass to tight end Dante Rosario. When Dick was later recapping the game leaders, he referred to the Panthers' tight end as, quote, Rosario Dawson, unquote. <laughs> Cubs fans will remember Dick's assorted errors in the early 2000s when Stockton occasionally called ba uh, playoff baseball games for Fox. Dick famously referred to Alfonso Soriano as Adolfo, as well as calling the Cubs' third baseman Rodrigo Ramirez instead of Aramis, 
During NBA games, Dick also referred to a former Bulls three-point specialist as both Calvin Quarter and Corey Kiver instead of Kyle Korver. Lastly, during the 1997 NBA All-Star Game in Cleveland, Stockton came back in from a commercial with the network showing some footage of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame Museum. The camera showed a statue of Joey Ramone of the Ramones, and Dick, after looking at the statue, said, quote, There's Elvis Presley, and what a shame he couldn't get into the stadium today, unquote. Dick, that's neither a statue of Elvis nor the real one since he died in 1977. <laughs> Look, Dick, I would love to make the excuse that your brain is melting because you have to sit next to the very football-y Mark Schlereth every weekend, but we're looking at at least 20 years worth of sloppiness. It's time to go do something else with your life. Get off my TV. But before you do, Dick Stockton, see me after class! See me after class. All right, we're back. We took a little break from see me after class. I think it's been just one week, a one week break for Bill to recharge Dr. William Doinks. Uh, But this one's a bit, a bit heavier, a bit more serious. But, uh, you know, I think I think you're going to enlighten us all. So take it away, Dr. William Thank you, Dan. That was very warm. I am definitely not a doctor, but thank you. This week's spotlight shines on Brent Musburger. We have all known Brent as a guy with a great voice that has popped up during big games over the years. Currently, Brent is in his second year as the radio play-by-play guy for the soon-to-be Las Vegas Raiders. The Raiders are only the most recent employer of Brent, He has a long history of working in sports, whether it be CBS or ESPN or current gambling project VSIN. Without fail, these jobs end in ashy remains because Brent drops a hot cigarette into a forest and he walks away without caring about what he's leaving behind. That sounded like Dan Weederer a little bit. I apologize. (laughs) While national shows like Scott Van Pelt's Late Night Sports Center make Brent out to be America's harmless degenerate grandpa, the truth is Brent is closer to that old-ass conspiratorial uncle that you try to avoid when the extended family's over passing around the Christmas goose. Let me take you back to 1968. In 68, the Summer Olympics were hosted by Mexico City, and the United States had two medalists in the men's 200-meter sprint. Anyone with a sense of history understands how tense the 1960s were, and during the medal ceremony... Americans John Carlos and Tommy Smith raised their gloved hands to the sky in support of human rights, as well as a symbol of black power at the time. You've seen the photo. It's iconic. It's controversial. It means something different to everyone who sees it now, and I'm certainly to everyone who was around to experience it as it happened. In 1968, Brent Musburger wrote for the now-defunct Chicago American. After Smith and Carlos's famous protest, Musburger wrote a column called Bizarre protest tarnishes medals. In the article, Musburger says, quote, One gets a little tired of having the United States run down by athletes who are enjoying themselves at the expense of their country, unquote. Musburger described Smith and Carlos as, quote, juvenile, ignoble, unimaginative, unquote. 
Musburger called Smith, quote, the militant black, unquote, and then typed quite the description by saying Carlos and Smith were, quote, a pair of black-skinned stormtroopers, unquote. Stormtroopers? Like Star Wars, right? Nope. Yoda wasn't fondling a lightsaber until 1977 at the earliest. Unfortunately, <laughs> Brent's alluding to Adolf Hitler's Sturm Abitjung, or SA. Yeah, I just dropped that, but it's true, Whoa. that popped up in the 1920s. Very weird. Interestingly Whoa. enough, if you listen to Carlos and Smith, you quickly learn that a large percentage of their protest was against Avery Brundage, who was in charge of the International Olympic Committee in 1952 through 1972. Brundage first became involved in the IOC in the late 1920s, and he had a great influence to allow Germany to host the 1936 Olympic Games, despite the rise of Nazism after the election of Hitler in 1933. I know this is weird. Just bear with me, guys. <laughs> Brundage took Hitler at his word that Germany would not discriminate against Jewish people during the Olympics. When Germany had zero Jewish participants in 1936, Brundage justified it by saying something to the effect of, well, Historically, they haven't really had many Jewish athletes representing them, so it's not a big surprise, unquote. Well, actually, I shouldn't unquote that. That's, that's me saying that more than anything. Uh, as if it wasn't bad enough, when Brundage was heading the IOC in the late 1950s, he pushed back against policymakers who wanted both white and non-white South African athletes to have access to quality facilities. You know, that whole 40-year apartheid problem that South Africa suffered from? Suffice it to say, American athletes of color were not the hugest fan of Avery Brundage, to the point where, according to an article in The Nation, athletes referred to Brundage as, quote, slavery Avery, unquote. And look, if Brent had any amount of intellectual curiosity, he would have considered this context before saying of the Olympians' protest, quote, a big question of the Olympics was what action the two militants would dramatize their protest against white America, unquote. That was Brent. Now, back to 2019, where our modern times feel, let's be honest, a little bit heightened in many ways socially, especially with respect to racial tensions. Brent's voice pours out each Sunday to NFL fans throughout the Bay Area of California, describing the action as the Raiders lose game after game under human cabbage patch John Gruden. <laughs> Good thing Brent isn't calling games across the Bay for the San Francisco 49ers, though. On October 8th, 2017, Brent said on Twitter, quote, Yo, 49ers, since you instigated protest, two wins and 19 losses. How about taking your next knee in the other team's end zone, unquote. That last line was actually kind of funny, but the sentiment is pretty weird. One month later, Brent called San Francisco the, quote, 40 kneelers, unquote. Oh, gross. <laughs> yeah. Brent seems to hate an athlete with an opinion as much as he loves to talk gambling lines. And he has a right to his opinions, of course. But given Brent's veiled and sometimes not so veiled racial tones, I'm imagining this that 70% of the league who's African-American might have an opinion about Brent Musburger being allowed a microphone 16 days a year promoting their league. In 2012, reporter David Zirin of The Nation sat down with John Carlos, and he asked him about Brent Musburger's article and how life was for him after that 1968 article that Brent wrote. Carlos said, quote, we're talking about someone who compared us to Nazis. Think about that. Here we are standing up to apartheid, 
and to a man in Avery Brundage who delivered the Olympics to Hitler's Germany. And here's Musburger calling us Nazis. That got around. It followed us. It hurt us. It hurt my wife, my kids. I've never been able to confront him about why he did this. Every time I've been at a function or an event with Brent Musburger and I walk toward him, he heads the other way, unquote. That's weak, Brent. I expect more out of America's degenerate grandpa, but obviously I shouldn't. All I know is when the Bears are beating the Raiders' ass this Sunday, I'm going to take extra pleasure in knowing that you are up there in the booth watching another loss from your boy Gruden. You're a good announcer and all, but you just don't seem to be that great of a guy. Brent Musburger, see me after class. See me after class. Bingo. Welcome back to Zero Doinks. After a somewhat serious smack last week, I'm very interested to see where Bill takes things this week on Zero Doinks. Bill, lay it on us. Thank you, Dan. Another super warm welcome. I really appreciate it every week. It might be my highlight. This week's spotlight shines brightly on the Chicago Sun-Times' Rick Morrissey. Yes. Rick has underwhelmed Chicago sports newspaper readers since 2000, when he left Denver's Rocky Mountain News to join the Chicago Tribune. Rick moved his way up the totem pole at the Trib, earning exclusive in-the-wake-of-the-news status until September 2009, when the Tribune promoted the rubber-faced David Haw to join Rick in a co-lead columnist role. I didn't blame Rick for feeling stung and for packing his bags to take over Jay Mariotti's role at the Sun-Times in December of 2009, where he has since traded off writing largely forgettable columns along with oft-concussed co-lead columnist Rick Tellender. Rick Morrissey's columns regarding all of our local sports teams have ranged from dull to wrong to flat-out weird. Here are a handful of examples. March 13th, 2016. Quote, this is a headline. I'm going to give a little bit of a flavor after the headline. You know me by now. Quote, look out for Michigan State, especially after NCAA seeding insult, unquote. Five days later, the Spartans lost by nine to Middle Tennessee State in the opening round. April 26, 2017. Do the Bears have the stomach for using top pick on a QB, unquote? Pick Trubisky one day later. June 5th, 2016. I mixed up the dates here. I apologize. White Sox make the right move by acquiring James Shields. Uh, Shields famously was dealt from the Padres for possible National League Rookie of the Year, Fernando Tatis Jr. Wrong again, Rick. May 10th, 2017. Quote, Jerry Reinsdorf's aversion to trading with Cubs makes total sense. Unquote. Morrissey said, also in this in this incredible column, he said, quote, no way the Sox will trade Jose Quintana to his crosstown rival. So two months almost to the day the Sox traded Quintana to the north side for Eloy Jimenez, Dylan Cease, et al. And we all know this. And amazing. Rick, God, you are the opposite of a crystal ball. November 6, 2017, quote, hoping 
praying for Jim Harbaugh as Bears' next head coach, unquote. Nope, thank God. June 2018, quote, Bulls should draft Michael Porter Jr., unquote. The week of the draft, he wrote that he hasn't played a game in the NBA since March 4th, 2019, quote, Bears should dream big and go after talented, high-maintenance Antonio Brown, unquote. Nothing really needs to be said about that. Uh, He also had a March 12th, 2019 article floating the idea that the University of Illinois should have an otter as their mascot. That's not a joke. No way. That's not real. No, it is real. Look it up. Look (laughs) it up. Now, all of those things are ridiculous, right? But the thing that catches my attention more than any of that buffoonery are the 32, yes, 32 hand-wringing articles that Rick has written about Mitch Trubisky since the 2018 offseason. 32, that is just beyond weird. In scanning these scrolls over the last two years, Rick likes to try and convince his audience that he is purely on the fence about Mitch, and he's not made up his mind yet. After Mitch threw for 355 yards passing and three scores against the Lions last year, Rick defended Mitch while ripping into former failed general manager and current blowhole and Patriots strumpet, the athletic Mike Lombardi, saying that, quote, It's interesting that Mike Lombardi couldn't seem to find his flamethrower after Trubisky had thrown three touchdown passes, unquote. Well, there's no washy without the wishy. And Rick has turned as windsocky as the aforementioned Jay Mariotti. Enter Rick's two, uh, 2019 September 30th column headline, quote, What if Chase Daniel, not Mitch Trubisky, gives the Bears the best chance of winning the Super Bowl this year? Unquote. Now, let's leave aside the fact that Mitch's shoulder injury and the ensuing Bears win over Minnesota, that the mere idea of this column is the lowest possible hanging fruit available for media and fans alike, right? Everyone acknowledged how solid Chase was in relief of Mitch against Minnesota, and he was just that, solid. He's a solid backup. We saw it last year when Chase led the Bears to victory over the Lions on Thanksgiving as we were all shoving turkey down our gullets and Then we saw his limitations the following week when the Bears traveled to New York and lost to the woeful Giants. Mitch then returned from injury. He led the Bears to four straight victories over the Rams, the Packers, the 49ers, and the Vikings, and then he led the Bears to the Eagles' 25-yard line with 10 seconds to go, and, well, this podcast was born. Look, I don't want to make this seem like I'm bashing Chase Daniel. That's not fair. But when Rick Morrissey penned the following statements between the Vikings and the Raiders games, it made me want to puke. Quote, Chase looks so much more confident with a ball in his hands than Trubisky does. His throws are more accurate. He he sees the field better. The offense works better with him on the field. Unquote. Rick then says, quote, I know the idea of sticking with Daniel smacks of panic. It feels slightly amateurish in the way that one-game overreactions sometimes do, unquote. Well, you know what, Rick? When you had that thought, you should have deleted the stupid column and taken a cold shower, you humdrum, pasty, middle-aged bastard. Only the truly myopic wanted to drum up an actual quarterback controversy after that Vikings game. And Rick was one of those half-wits, which... 
after perusing his terrible work for 20 years, should not be a surprise to anyone. So now that we've seen Chase and the offense sputter against a painfully mediocre Raiders defense to the tune of two horrific picks, plus one more called back due to a roughing the passer, can you do us a favor, Rick? Please, I beg of you, drop your obsession with Mitch and go back to your other fetish and write your 15th column about you, Darv. But before you do, Rick Morrissey, see me after class! The See me after class. Yep, here we are. See me after class. Just a fucking great segment. I'm looking forward to it. We've been off a week or two weeks with it. Um, Can't wait, Bill. Slap it on and all around our faces and ears right now. Thank you for maybe your warmest welcome yet, Dan. I really appreciate it. Today's spotlight shines on Tom, don't call me Thom, Brenneman. Tom is a play-by-play guy that you've heard during NFL Sundays, college football Saturdays, and, if you're a Cincinnati Reds fan, 162 days a year. Sorry about that, Reds fans. He also sat next to Harry Carey for four seasons in the early 90s, working as a Cubs analyst and presumably pouring fresh mugs of hams between innings for Harry to desperately guzzle down his giant, giant lips. What's important to recognize about Tom, though, is he's a smug-sounding, boorish announcer who tries to make the mundane sound important while making actual big moments sound very small. Not to mention that he only got his gig because his recently retired dad, Marty Brenneman, has been in the business since woolly mammoths were cross-country skiing across our great land during the Ice Age. Tom also has a silent H in his first name that I'm guessing stands for Hebler, which means a person who does strange things all alone in the dark. Admittedly, Tom is known more as a baseball voice, but the same broadcast issues that ail him on the diamond follow him on the gridiron. Let's take a trip onto Reddit where username Vector Memes, whose Reddit slogan reads, It's a nipple thing, writes the following. Quote, Tom has an incredible amount of stupid opinions about players and feels the need to share every single one, and he'll do that stupid thing where he takes a full 60 seconds to say, Before I say this, I'm not implying this, 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 or this, and then he goes on to say the exact thing that he says he's not implying. Unquote. Also on Reddit, Username Redsman Rick says, quote, he's 30 years behind the times and yet manages to come across condescending and smug as hell about it. He also has the seriousness about everything that is just a big downer. In short, he doesn't provide useful insight and he makes the game less enjoyable to watch, unquote. Another thing that rankles me big time is that Tom also has an unbelievably annoying laugh. It sounds like a woodpecker being tickled by a feather duster. Here, listen for yourself. (laughs) See what I mean? I'm sure you, loyal doinks listener, remember how intense the media love fest was for Tim Tebow, the college football god, right? Well, Tom was front and center in the gobbling of Tebow's untouched meat puppet when he was calling the 2009 BCS championship game. On air, Tom said the following, quote, 
In such a cynical, sarcastic society, oftentimes looking for the negative on anybody or anything, if you're fortunate enough to spend five minutes or 20 minutes around Tim Tebow, your life is better for it, unquote. Ugh, God, so gross. After Tebow earned a 15-yard and sportsmanlike conduct penalty for taunting Oklahoma's defense, Brenneman claimed, quote, that might be the first thing he's ever done wrong, unquote. Ugh, way to put Tebow on a pedestal, Tom. I'm sure when Tebow's eventual closet skeletons eventually come to life, you'll flip your opinion on him real hard. Well, maybe not. When someone has definitely done something wrong in life, Tom will still grab his jock and take a deep sniff. During a, <laughs> during a June 30th Cubs-Reds game this past season, Tom said, quote, Addison Russell had to suffer through a suspension that had to do with a domestic situation, unquote. Yeah, Addison really suffered. Good call, Tom. That domestic situation was well documented and included reports of Russell allegedly tackling his then wife on pavement and emotionally abusing the woman to the point where she had uh, night terrors for a while. We'd all like to suffer like Addison, you know having to earn a paltry $2 million after being suspended without pay for 40 games in 2019. It's kind of weird, Tom. Is that too sarcastic for you? You elfin, fake-laughing, smarmy bastard! Reds fans have a pretty great sense of humor, considering they have to sit through six months of Tom Brenneman aimlessly chattering into their eardrums. I stumbled upon something called Brenneman Bingo, which really gives a look at Tom's repeated verbal tics. A handful of bingo card highlights include, quote, is completely oblivious to technology or social media, unquote. Also, quote, conversation suddenly becomes about music, unquote. And, quote, conversation suddenly becomes about food, unquote. As well as, quote, says something won't happen right before it does, unquote. And the center square, maybe my favorite, quote, He's only here because his last name is Brenneman, unquote. I never thought I'd say this, but I really want the other severe case of broadcast nepotism, Joe Buck, back on my TV during Fox's Game of the Week. Tom, you are overly dramatic. You're self-important. You're very selfish about jamming extra letters in your first name as well. So I have two requests of you, Tom. One, Take your unnecessary H and give it to my friend Todd, who only has one D. That way, <laughs> that way you can become a true Tom and he can become a Thod. I like the sound of that. Thod and Tom, an ABC Friday night sitcom with two Dutch cobblers trying to pivot their business to meet today's shoe buyer demands. My second request, though, is Tom Brenneman, see me after class. See me after class. We're back, episode 18. I'm so excited for our next segment, which it's been a long time coming. And my favorite segment of all time, See Me After Class, also known as Smack. Bill, lay it on us. Thank you, Dan. That embrace has been warm. I feel like I felt your wings embracing me right there. It felt great. This week's spotlight shines on Michael Lombardi. Mike 
is a former NFL executive and a current blowhard media analyst who writes for The Athletic, and he's the co-host of a podcast with former ESPN anchor Adnan Verk, who I'm pretty sure moonlights as the guy whose murder case was recently refused to be heard by the Supreme Court, right? Anywho, <laughs> perhaps you know Mike as the guy who loves to give people weird and juvenile nicknames. Locally here in Chicago, you may have heard some of his guest radio appearances where he loves to hear himself say, MVP Mitch, to disparage Mitch Trubisky. In Dallas, where Thod lives, no, he doesn't live there at all, actually. Yeah, he used to. In Dallas, Cowboys fans know Mike as the guy who takes credit for coining the nickname The Clapper for Dallas head coach Jason Garrett. Totally normal behavior for a 60-year-old former NFL executive, you dumb rubber-faced bastard. What Mike is most currently known for, though, <laughs> is his weekly column in The Athletic called, quote, From the GM's Eye, unquote. In this column, Mike often boasts of his time working for multiple NFL franchises, and he loves to brag about what a stellar front office mind he was when it comes to scouting and drafting football talent. Well, Mike started as an area scout for the 49ers in the 1980s, and then he was hired as a scout with the Browns in 1987. He then got promoted to the pro personnel department, where he had a few different job titles between 89 and 95. Well, let me just dive deep into his, into his bio here. There are two interesting things on his Wikipedia page regarding this transition. First, the paragraph about Mike's career claims that he was hired as pro personnel director for Cleveland in 1987, but his career history in that graden box on the right had him as a scout for two years. So obviously, Mike edited his own page to make it seem like he went straight from two years as a scout to a big wig front office job, and that is not true. Also, the same paragraph that was blowing Mike about his front office job in Cleveland mentioned, quote, he worked under Bill Belichick managing drafts, negotiating contracts, and acquiring free agents, unquote. Now, no, that is not true. Let's line up these years. So looking at the job title changes, the years 93 to 95 would be the ones that made sense for Lombardi to truly work with Belichick. Let's take a look at those three years of drafts, and let's pretend that Mike was the one making the picks, or at least he had a significant voice in Belichick's head, okay? Let's all take a step back and pretend. All right, so Mike made 18 picks during those three drafts, including four first-rounders those three years. Out of those 18 players chosen from Mike, Cleveland got a total of 21 seasons worth of starts out of those 18 players. 17 of which were from first-rounders. Now, I'm not that great at math, but averaging less than one season of starts per draft pick seems less than great. At least that's what I thought initially, right? So what other GM comes to mind to give context to Mike's boobery? How about former Bears GM Phil Emery? In looking at Phil's three drafts, you know, equal to Mike, his picks averaged over two seasons of starts, per draft pick, meaning that Phil Emery had twice the eye for talent than Mike Lombardi. Hell, 
Mike's best pick during his first go round with Cleveland was I'm going to rip a piece of paper. Pause was wide receiver Derek Alexander in 1994, who was drafted number 29 overall in the first round. Alexander, like every other one of Mike's picks in Cleveland, never made it to a Pro Bowl. In that same draft in 94, fellow wide receiver Isaac Bruce, a four-time Pro Bowler, was picked four spots after Alexander. Great eye, Mike. After those incredible Browns drafts, Mike got fired, and then he had a two-year resume gap, and then he worked for the Eagles for a year, kind of weird, and then he held a job with the Raiders' front office for nearly 10 years. So during his time with Al Davis's Raiders, Mike oversaw drafts that included picking a kicker number 17 overall, Sebastian Janikowski. Okay, yeah, I guess that's decent for a kicker, right? He famously chose quarterback Jamarcus Russell at number one in 2007, not coincidentally leading to Mike's firing after that season. But he also picked Iowa offensive lineman and likely user of Mons, Robert Gallery, number two in 2004. <laughs> For as bad as Jamarcus Russell was, and we all know that, the Gallery pick is actually much worse in the context of who was picked after him. So check out this list, okay? Gallery is picked number two, like I said. Number three in that draft, Larry Fitzgerald, Hall of Famer. Number four, Philip Rivers, Hall of Famer. Number five, Sean Taylor. Died way too young, but he still made one Pro Bowl in his four seasons. The next three picks were Kellen Winslow, Roy Williams, and D'Angelo Hall, all Pro Bowlers. The other picks in the first round after Robert Gallery include Ben Roethlisberger, Jonathan Vilma, Tommy Harris, Sean Andrews, Will Smith, Vince Wilfork, Steven Jackson, Jason Babin, and Ben Watson. So out of the first eight picks, there was only one bust, Robert Gallery, chosen by the sharp eye of former GM Mike Lombardi. What a wet, incompetent boob. <laughs> after another six-year res six resume gap, after he got fired after Jamarcus Russell, Mike caught on again with the Browns for two seasons as a GM until he was fired again after overseeing two embarrassing drafts and seasons. He finished his NFL days on the payroll for New England as an assistant to the coaching staff from 2014 to 2016, three seasons bookended by two Super Bowl victories by the Patriots. Mike uses this second round of Bill Belichickian experience often in his columns as if he was a vital cog in the wheel of Tom Brady's continued domin dominance. I can't speak English. Dominance. So what's my point here, Zero Doinks listeners? I want you to fully understand the whole story whenever Mike Lombardi rips on a player, a coach, a GM, or God forbid a fan base. Always remember the criticism is coming from the blowhole of an insignificant and abject failure. A former NFL executive whose list of quarterback draftees include and only includes the following five quarterbacks. Eric Zire, Marcus Tuiasosopo, Andrew Walter, Jamarcus Russell, and Johnny Manziel. Here are five quarterbacks chosen in the same drafts after those genius Mike Lombardi picks. Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, Ryan Fitzpatrick and his stupid face, and our boy Kyle Orton. Look, that's not exactly a Hall of Fame 
gunslinger's crew, but it's further proof of both the imperfection of each and every NFL draft, as well as proof that Mike Lombardi is a complete idiot covered in hypocrisy. Look, there's a couple things about this dope that we should all remember. One, he doesn't deserve his last name. Lombardi is football royalty. Mike isn't even related to Vince. I vote to remove his last name and give him a nickname instead. I'm going to go with Montebank, which is a synonym for swindler, grifter, or imposter. Mike Montebank. Yeah, it has a ring to it, which is much more significant than the two rings that Mike stole from New England a few years ago. I'm sick of the self-importance that leaks from this guy's stupid columns, and I'm sick of media companies giving this guy a lofty reputation because of his supposed impressive resume. Mike Lombardi, see me after class! See me after class! Oh, baby, we're at my favorite part every week when it's red hot off the presses, podcast presses. America's been waiting for it. Green Bay has been waiting for it. Chicago's been waiting for it. Andrew WK has been waiting for it. This is See Me After Class. Smack me in the face, Bill. Go ahead. I'm going to try, Dan. Thank you so much for yet another warm welcome into your trust tree. I absolutely appreciate it. Today's spotlight comes back locally for the first time in a while, and it shines on Lawrence, don't call me Larry Holmes. Oh, Lawrence been has been a member. Yes, yes, you have. Yes, you have. I'm excited for you here, Dan. I really am. Yes. All right. Lawrence has been a member of the score 670 since working with Les Grobstein in 1998. And he's hosted a handful of shows over the years, mostly during late night hours. In March of 2019, Holmes was promoted to early afternoons with a 12 to 2 p.m. show that allowed him to no longer be preempted by exciting Notre Dame basketball. Now, I want to be clear here. Lawrence doesn't seem like a bad guy at all. He seems smart, and he's clearly busted his ass for many years to rise the ranks in a largely white and fat industry. And there's a lot to be said for that. However... He is in the smack crosshairs today because there is no excuse to be as show-offy and self-fellatio-y as he tends to be. Now, if you've ever listened to Lawrence, and I mean really listened to Lawrence, you would hear what I hear, which is someone who probably keeps a mirror on his ceiling so he can watch himself badger the witness while watching anime of nude puppets. Here's an example. On December 5th of this year, 2019, the year of our Lord, Lawrence had Chicago Sun-Times Bears beat reporter Jason Laser, haven't really heard of him, on as a guest. Holmes was describing his home office to Jason, and he told him that that's where he has his diplomas hanging up, as well as newspaper articles about himself and his own bobblehead. Now, it's probably not terribly uncommon to have your diplomas in your home office, I guess. But then Lawrence told Jason that Jason could call him Professor Holmes. And he was only half joking. 
as it offered Lawrence an excuse to talk about he's a professor adjunct at DePaul, where he teaches broadcasting. And I assume he also teaches how to ignore pronouncing the letter H. Lawrence says, human and huge a lot. Come on, Larry. It's a ham sandwich, not an am sandwich, you self-aggrandizing Comic-Con licking bastard. If, like me, you've spent any time trolling Lawrence's Twitter handle, you've come to know that he recently got an online graduate degree from the University of Alabama. He gets a little touchy when you call it an online degree, so much so that he dedicated a full episode of Loho Daily, one of his four podcasts, that seems excessive, to explaining why he is now a huge Alabama football fan. Let's take a dip into that podcast episode, which I transcribed some notes so you, our loyal Zero Doinks listener, don't have to. Now, these are all quotes. Just bear with me and you'll understand where I'm going here and why I get irked with the tooting of his own wet horn. Quote, I studied the last two years studying, uh, uh, pardon me. I spent the last two years studying at the University of Alabama getting a master degree. I didn't just get an online degree. I actually spent a lot of time on campus. I'm still debating whether or not I'm going to invest in getting a PhD. The goal is to be Dr. Holmes before I'm 50. I didn't want to go to DePaul graduate school and take classes with my students, even though I could have taken those classes for free. It came down to Alabama versus Arizona State. When I was an undergrad at DePaul, there wasn't a football team, and I had my choices between places where there were football teams, like Illinois or Michigan or even Yale. I filled out my application for Alabama, and from that point on, they reached out to me. I feel like I was recruited. Maybe it's because I have 70,000 followers on Twitter and because I have a platform in Chicago, so they want me to be one of their alums. They invited me and said, you should come to orientation. I'm ripping a page and going to page two. I wanted to be part of their community. They went out of their way, and I don't know if it was just for me. They sent me a University of Alabama zip drive and a welcome letter from the president of the university. Alabama reached out, and it was simple little stuff like hearing from the department chair, Dr. Roberts. He's someone I adore. Okay, I have to stop here because I'm getting nauseous, and I'm sure you are too, Zero Doinks listeners, because this is disgusting. Now, I encourage you to look at Lawrence's Twitter feed from May of 2019. Among almost 10 tweets talking about his graduation from Alabama, there's a picture of Lawrence with his arm around that aforementioned Dr. Christopher Roberts. In the Twitter post, Lawrence again notes how Alabama made a run at him as if he was a five-star running back. Saying about Dr. Roberts, quote, he saw my application two years ago and basically recruited me, unquote. Now, when you look at the picture on Lawrence's feed, and if you're honest with yourself like we all should be, you will conclude that the look on Dr. Roberts' face screams, I have no idea who this strange person is and why his arm is around me. Get him out of here! I couldn't help but chuckle when I read Cleo McDowell's response on Twitter at Drewby31428419 when he replied, quote, You are very important, Lawrence. Did you graduate this weekend? Unquote. 
God damn it. I love it. Cleo McDowell. I want to be friends with you so bad. All right. Now look, <laughs> Lawrence, I'm glad you get excited when you receive a form letter from an online college. I'm excited that you think that Alabama was recruiting you at all, much less that you could end up becoming a free marketing tool for them to get more alums, as you called them. By the way, Larry, it's called alumni, you PhD humping bastard. It didn't surprise me that Holmes already has an alumni feature in the Bama by Distance online magazine. What a shocker there. In this article, Lawrence boasted of having almost 300,000 downloads for his House of L podcast in less than a year. Now, look, those are good numbers, but I hate to break it to you, Lawrence. Those numbers are not because people want to listen to you. It's because you were able to book entertaining guests such as Peanut Tillman, Tom Thayer, Pat Hughes, and others. But... You know what, Lawrence? I'm happy that you now own a bunch of Alabama gear, and now you feel that you can mumble, roll damn tide, as if you're part of a football-obsessed community. Since on the same podcast episode, you said, quote, your fandom has been compromised due to your job, unquote. Shut up, Lawrence. I'm glad that you found an outlet that jumping on the bandwagon of a team that has won five of the last 10 national championships, you can ride that bandwagon so hot and wet on Nick Saban's. Never mind. And I can almost imagine that your new Bama sweatshirts will match perfectly with all your Warriors hats and New England Patriots underpants. Your enthusiasm for your online graduate degree is infectious. In fact, Bama by distance might have just received an inquiry from one Ron Doinks to see if his experience applying for the University of Alabama Journalism Graduate School would be the same as you received. I mean, who wouldn't want to jump on the opportunity to wrap their arms around Dr. Christopher Roberts in a Tuscaloosa fieldhouse? Lawrence, you're a hard worker, but you annoy me because you want to remind everyone how hard you work. You're accomplished in your role, but you annoy me because you love reminding everyone of, of such things as having your own agent. And Lawrence, you're smart, but you annoy me because you come across very braggy about your degrees and your professorial role at your undergrad alma mater. Look, Lawrence, your guests are good. You seem to be pretty solid at asking questions, and your show is one of the only places that I can find consistent White Sox talk on the AM dial. But just chill out, man, and you'd be a much better listen. If you relax the brag muscle, I might even listen to one of your 900 podcasts. But until that happens, Lawrence Holmes, see me after class!